Welcome, everybody, to episode 178 of the Metabilis 2 podcast, which features myself, Ben. And I am David. And I am Lena. Hey, Lena. Welcome Hello. to the Metabilis 2 podcast. Special guest. <laughs> Thank you for having me. You're very welcome. Welcome. So, Lena, you are an expert, a self-avowed <laughs> expert. Go on. And Jamie, Mc- Jamie McCrimmon. And a bunch of other stuff. Jeez. And a bunch of other stuff in television. <laughs> and you had just come off uh, the uh, setting a round of quiz questions for the Quiz of Rassilon. And I believe, if rumor has it, that went down pretty well. Um, I don't want to make assumptions about how other people felt <laughs> about the round. I felt pretty good about it because uh, I was... Uh, yeah, I have a lot of feelings about Jamie McCrimmon and being able mm-hmm. to... Uh, Using the round as a way to, like, prove my point of how awesome he is was very fun. <laughs> uh, I had a statement to make. And, Ooh. yeah, it, I the feedback I've gotten has been very, was very fun. Having people curse mm-hmm. my name. I, I haven't had that in a very long time. So, Unlike some other question setters we, we could mention. Yeah. <laughs> uh, actually, I think I did get compared to Toby at one point. Yes. I was just like, wow. Like, I <laughs> thought I was compliment. going easy. <laughs> well, no, I, I, I thought what was great about your questions is you could actually work out the answer by thinking about them and knowing a little bit about the show. Yeah. With Toby Haddock, it's like no one knows the answer to that question. It's, yeah. it's not. It's, it's not almost not related that... to Doctor Who. Yeah, it's it's only you know the answer. It's like kind of being asked questions about you know the Large Hadron Collider or something. I don't mm-hmm. know what the answer to that is. <laughs> yeah, I, I definitely tried to pick questions that I think I specifically decided to like only use the episodes that not necessarily episodes that still exist, but episodes that he was in, right, um, mm-hmm. and not using like. Like, I could do uh, a lot of extended universe stuff, and I think that's probably yeah. fair game. Yeah. But I think just focusing, for, like, the first round, the, the the very core Jamie aspects are all present mm-hmm. in the show. And I wanted to really, like, bring that out and, like, talk about, like, how he learned to read and tell time and, like, is very adaptive in the show mm-hmm. uh, in yeah. a way that a lot of people kind of ride off because the doctor likes to make fun of him which which is fair the doctor it's like fair. shushes him all the time but that's kind of the joke is that like jamie is smarter than he looks do you think they write him off because they see like him wearing a wristwatch and being more sophisticated and uh, as a, a failure of like doctor who in the 60s that they cast this historical figure and then he's actually a contemporary swinging 60s <laughs> jane you know fraser hines or why do you think that is why do you think is it just simply that he's made fun of by the doctor i think part of it is like a lot of 60s doctor who the writing is inconsistent in a way that um, (laughs) the companions fit the series um Mm -hmm. like the specific serial that he's in Mm -hmm. the story right and like that it's a trap that a lot of people fall in like a lot of writers fall into and it's not a bad trap but it also makes it so he's not just defined by his highland origins because writers forget about that and so he becomes like a much bigger character because because of that inconsistency which is kind of hilarious that inconsistency (laughs) actually helps the character along to like become a fuller more well-rounded character yeah and i think it's a lot of people a lot of people see fraser or like 
Frasier plays Jamie Dumb sometimes for comedy, and mm-hmm. I think it's funny. Right. Uh, like I, I like I think it's charming as well. But like I think people <laughs> take the comedy to mean that like oh no, like this is actually what the character is, and he's not just like playing dumb. Yeah. Because I mean I think they've you know the, obviously there were problems or perceived problems with having historic. Historic companions. Mm. The main example which brings to mind is, you know, Katerina, uh, mm. the Trojan. Or, or even Victoria. And, or even Victoria, you yeah. know. But I mean, the great thing about, about Jamie is that, yeah, I mean, you know, he appears to be... I mean, I just, yeah, I, I, I really like the way you put it. Because the writing is consistent, he becomes an awesome character. Because he starts out as being, you know, a Highlander. And, you know, they weren't particularly sophisticated people, certainly to my knowledge. <laughs> the Highland tribes of the... Of the mid-18th century. It was sophisticated in a different way. Yeah, <laughs> It wasn't but... sophisticated by English standards. <laughs> there you go. Um, <laughs> there was different sophistication there. But, they, but they, you know, they were super adaptable and resourceful and... Resilient. Um, ...well-organized people. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's exactly what Jamie is. He's super adaptive and resourceful and smart and learns well. And yeah, anyway, so yeah. Yeah. Did you get into Doctor Who through Jamie then, through Troutner? Were you like a Diana Gabaldon fan of Outlander books? Or? <laughs> I have so much to say about Outlander. Um, cool. <laughs> I did not get into the show through Outlander. Okay. Um, but so I actually got into the show because of the New Who series. Oh, okay. uh, I was on television without pity for a really long time, okay. which is like an online forum for like tv obsessives that was really popular in the mid-aughts uh and like that's where a lot of culture of tv criticism actually comes from and Hmm. a lot of like where the genesis of tv fandom analytics and memes and sort of things Mm -hmm. like a lot of it was cultivated on television without pity to the extent that aaron sorkin and west wing had an entire episode about how much he hated (laughs) television without pity and he specifically called it them out um (laughs) he like wrote himself in as like a forum member on the show it it was a very like having even seen the episode it was very weird it's kind of meta Um, but it was (laughs) um but it was having that kind of cultural impact between showrunners and writers and fans of the show and i was actually mostly on the forums for supernatural at the time because i was super into that show and then from supernatural i went to heroes Mm. and eccleston did a guest spot on heroes um, in the second half of the first season and i started seeing all these memes about doctor who and i was just like i like this actor from this guest spot Mm -hmm. i have no idea what doctor who is wow uh so like when i was 16 i started watching like new who and then i went through i caught up to um martha's the end of martha's season right so like in 2007 i started like watching it live i think the first thing i watched live was voyage of the damned which is uh kind of hilarious yeah and then while i was waiting for a new season i was like i'm gonna start at the beginning (laughs) and so i started with an an unearthly child and just like spent the next two or three years watching all of classic Mm -hmm. so that's how i got into that so you you literally watched it rigorously in order yes i did that's fabulous how do you deal with missing episodes uh, with missing episodes, there are a lot of reconstructions, mm-hmm. um, and so I would just watch the loose canon reconstructions, oh, cool. whatever I could find online. Wow. I didn't really know about the novels um, mm-hmm. until much later, okay. and like I didn't really do Big Finish. I wanted to like finish the rewatch before I did yeah. Big Finish stuff, yeah. and it took me a while, actually, to like get through all of Classic Who. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> like In retrospect, of course I did that, but like I don't know what made me think like yes this is something i'm going to do <laughs> I, d- I don't know why i thought like started like I, I am very like of the like i need to start from the beginning uh-huh. and go to the very end of like all my shows wow. but, like yep 
I don't know why I did that with Doctor Who, honestly. I was just very obsessed at that point. I was I was the tenant mm-hmm. kind of obsessed mm-hmm. of like <laughs> I, I was very much like a tenant fangirl right. okay. um at the time. <laughs> so we did you rent DVDs or did you buy them or was it online at that point? It was online. <laughs> oh, okay. Right. Sort of. <laughs> enough said. Enough said. Enough said. Yeah. Um, I, I think a lot of it might have been Daily Motion, to be honest. Yep. Right. Um, okay. I think Daily Motion still has them on. Right. I mean, like, worse comes to worse, it's not a bad way to catch up. Um, and, like, the internet in, like, late 2000s was very different than, like, fandom now. Like, it was pre-Tumblr. Mm-hmm. So it was a lot of live journal as well. And so I had a lot of live journal resources in order to like get the episodes that I wanted to watch. Yeah. Were you writing fanfic at all? I wasn't. I don't know why. <laughs> like it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's very interesting for me, like the relationship I have with like different shows because different shows, mm-hmm. I was just, like supernatural fanfic all day. Wow. Okay. Heroes. I did a little bit of fan fiction, but like with Doctor Who, I don't, I think by the time I caught up with Martha or the end of Martha, I was already sick of Rose. And so I didn't really <laughs> read a lot of 10 Rose. Yeah. And like my my opinions have changed over time. Like I'm not as sick mm-hmm. of Rose as I was back then. But like mm-hmm. I was very into the world and into the curative side of fandom um, versus mm-hmm. the transformative side of fandom. I've never really felt super pulled by the transformative side of Doctor Who for some reason. I think that's just Mm -hmm. like something about the show that there's already so much there that I I don't feel. Yeah. You don't feel the need to add more. Yeah. And I think I've always, I've always felt that the doctor is a little ace anyway. And so it just never felt right to like read a lot of fanfic about it. Right, mm-hmm. right. So, like, right. what would be like curative side of fandom? Since that was where you put your interest in, what? How would you describe that for people? Um, like for me, I don't know what you mean by that. Yeah. <laughs> so, I um a while, like a couple of years ago, someone described. Um, part of my Jamie thing is that I I should give context that mm-hmm. um. I have an MFA in film and television studies. And so I've done a lot of stuff in fandom studies Mm -hmm. and like looking at fandom studies and cult studies and stuff like that. Or like not cults, but like cult TV. Cult TV, yeah. (laughs) Doctor Um, Who. Doctor (laughs) Who. Yeah. (laughs) And someone delineated, and I really wish I could remember who this was, but they were like, okay, so people like to say that they're, you know, fangirls and fanboys and like Mm -hmm. fangirls and fanboys treat the shows differently and Mm -hmm. i think a much better non-gendered way to put it is that there is a curative fandom which is maintaining the status quo like collectors like collecting dvds making Mm -hmm. timelines about the show like taking the material that you have and organizing it in a way Oh, um, like curation? Like curation, like preserving the show. Okay. And then there's also the transformative side of fandom, which is like taking the elements and like making something new out of it. So hmm. it's like preservation versus creation or like yeah. doing these different things. And I, and I like that a lot more because, yes, you know, maybe historically more men have been into the curative side or mm-hmm. women have been into the transformative side because we sort of put these roles on people Mm -hmm. but i actually like feel a lot of the times that my relationship to the shows like it's it's a spectrum that like sometimes i lean more on the curative side Mm -hmm. and sometimes i lean more on the transformative side and it depends on the show and my relationship to the show and so like i do feel like i have a strong curative nature towards doctor who in that like i have a bookshelf dedicated to a (laughs) bunch of academic books about the show and a bunch of the dvds and 
Um, I have like, I'm collecting as many Funkos as I can and, <laughs> and stuff like that. And so it's uh, a lot of that is like rewatching the show and like you take new things out of the show. Um, but it's, it's less of, uh, like, you know, I think for Doctor Who fandom in the 90s during the wilderness years, that's where a transformation changed from the curative fan to the transformational fan, to use those words, because Mm -hmm. up until that point, really the only canon expanding stuff would be in the Doctor Who uh, magazine comic strips where you'd get new stories. Fans generally would try to rewatch or reread, but then when the show was canceled in 89, perhaps a different type of fan in Doctor Who went forward with writing their own stories, moving Ace and McCoy off in a different direction, for example. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. And I also think part of the reason I feel less like reading fanfic for Doctor Who is that Mm -hmm. so much of what's created for the show by fans becomes part of the show. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's very unique for this particular fandom. But, Mm -hmm. you know, Big Finish was transformative fandom until it got... Right. Until it wasn't, right. Right? right? Like, it feels different because fans so often become part of the show. And so there's a much broader range of transformative becoming curative and curative becoming transformative that, mm-hmm. like, it, like I feel like Archive of Our Own doesn't even, like, really factor into Doctor Who fandom because, like, you can just write for Big Finish if you want. Right. So there's more avenues for the loop back, I guess. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So is Outlander, it, it's more of a, it's more of an inspiration as far as I understand it, because uh, Diana Gabaldon was inspired by Jamie and then mm-hmm. wrote her own series <laughs> Com- <Yeah>. completely, <laughs> I think completely devoid of televised Doctor Who, Jamie, but maybe not, I've not read the books. So I've, I've read the first book and a half, um, and mm-hmm. this was actually after my whole Jamie phase, because I mm-hmm. learned that um, Gabaldon had like bait. So the story with Gabaldon, um, to the best of my knowledge, and mm-hmm. I actually wrote my thesis comparing the two Jamies between Outlander and Doctor Who, yeah. um, because the Jamie in Outlander was based on the one in Doctor Who. Okay. So I compared a lot between like the way that they're portrayed and the way that they're framed within their own respective shows, and like mm-hmm. the way that like characters express themselves have changed over like the past six years, basically. Um, and so the story with Gabaldon that she tells is that she was watching the war games and she wasn't really into it. It's just like something that her husband watched, hmm. like that was on in the background while right. she was doing like her other work. Mm-hmm. But she was really taken by this Highlander. And <laughs> um, and like there's a scene in war games where um, Lady Jennifer is saying, you know, I want to go have this fight and, and blah, blah, blah. Like I want to help the doctor. Mm-hmm. And Jamie is like, no, like, that's no place for a woman. Hmm. And Gabaldon was like very taken by this Highlander who like was seemingly modern or like was very like loyal and fierce and passionate and like having that relationship with a woman who was like, like, like having this sort of like backwards, having all these romantic aspects, but also mm-hmm. like being very backwards about it sometimes. Mm-hmm. And so in Outlander, it's about a nurse who travels back in time from World War Two to Highland Scotland a couple of years before the Battle of Culloden mm-hmm. and meets this 
Highlander, who it's a very romantic, you know, soulmate type of plot through time. Mm -hmm. But there are elements of like, you know, the time travel, the nurse meeting like a Scottish Highlander named Jamie um, and having Jamie be this romantic ideal, which he was also sort of framed as a romantic ideal in the show. Like if you watch the second doctor, like Jamie has more interactions or like more seemingly interactions with women than like a lot of other companions. And I think Mm -hmm. that's from the like romantic Highlander stereotype of like, Mm. of being sort of like a ladies person. (laughs) The actor fit that role very well too. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I I think also it was just like, Oh, we have a cute guy. Maybe we should like capitalize on this cute guy. (laughs) Um, (laughs) People seem taken with him. Uh, Yeah. And so my relationship with Outlander is really looking at the way that like they construct uh, the way that both Jamie's are sort of constructed as romantic heroes, but the different ways that like cult, TV um, in Doctor Who sort of deals with that versus the way that like a quality show like Outlander. So not as mm-hmm. much the books, but the quality show of Outlander deals with like having a romantic hero of that type. Right. Okay. So comparing television portrayals of the same inspiration. Yeah. Like the same, the same core concept of a character. That's cool. Yeah. Do you have a preference for the approach that either show took or is it both have their positives and downsides? Both of them definitely have their positives and downsides. Um, I was mainly looking at queer representation um, Mm -hmm. and the way that modern queer representation is very explicit. Mm -hmm. So like it's important to have characters be out and have characters be like, I am queer, I am gay, I am Mm -hmm. like it's important to be seen and to have people see you. But mm-hmm. I was also looking at the pros and cons of the way that in the 60s, characters were coded a little differently. So there was a little bit more ambiguity around it mm-hmm. and how that can also be a pro for interpreting characters and the different ways that like it, like having the explicitness kind of shuts down a lot of other dialogue around queerness hmm. um, in a way that implied or the ambiguous doesn't because it mm-hmm. doesn't like it doesn't put a character in a certain box because once a character says like i am this then it it describes like people form certain assumptions about what that is and like mm-hmm. what that role can be and like now everything is colored by this thing versus characters that like don't go one way or the other is like oh well like we can't really speak for someone else right mm-hmm. like we can't really um yeah <laughs> well like you were saying earlier with the 60s narratives that jamie was fit within the confines of that particular serial that particular story so mm-hmm. if a writer needed to have jamie act in a certain way he could fit that for that story's roles and rather than if a more modern approach with television once you have pigeonholed a particular character and it, you want that consistency you have a story bible for the uh, mm-hmm. a show bible for the program and then you know you're not going to vary that character unless that specifically is that character's arc maybe yeah exactly pigeonholing is a great way to put it cool yeah <laughs> thank you for letting me go on a rant no 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 it's just, so part of what we've always talked about on this podcast is the difference between a, a kind of british experience of this particular mm-hmm. show um doctor who versus an american experience of this particular show and I think one of the things that's been really interesting, me having guests on, and we've, because we've only had guests for the, well, how many guests have we had so far? Oh, we just. How many, how many people do we know who <laughs> would willingly come on this? Not that many. <laughs> but, I mean, there's sort of been, for, for sort of fans of, of our age, the kind of centrality of Tom Baker is, 
is for American fans is kind of you know very very important. Mm-hmm. But for British fans, it is actually kind of more linear. I mean, it's it's really tends to be the first. Obviously, it's, you know, it's the first Doctor that you that you kind of came across. Um, so I didn't know that about mm. you. You know that you that you you actually got into the show. I mean, I, I guess it makes sense. You got into the show through the New Who mm-hmm. reboot. But then you did something pretty extraordinary, which is go back to the beginning and okay, I'm going to start with black and white British TV from 1963 <laughs> and I'm going to work my way through which might imply that as a fan you'd kind of imprint first on William Hartnell but instead you, you kind of jump to, to Troughton and then you know there's this kind of Tom Baker is the Doctor Who you kind of don't do that at all so I'm, I'm just kind of interested in why you might think that is that's a very long question <laughs> you know what I mean. no I, I think you gave like perfect context for it yeah I mean technically my first Doctor is Eccleston Mm-hmm. So who is who is that? Sorry, I'm I'm I'm, no, I'm, go ahead. I'm I'm interrupting. He was an amazing actor, an amazing personality, and one of the things that actually got me excited because I was suspicious, like all fans are. Fans, <laughs> you know, what got me really, really excited about the 2005 reboot was one Russell T Davis and two Christopher Eccleston because I'd seen Christopher Eccleston, you know, a bunch of amazing movies mm-hmm. and. You know, Cracker and, um, you know, 28 Days Late. I mean, you know, he's, he was in so many great things. And that's one of the things that made me excited about the show mm-hmm. coming back. It's like, okay, well, if they, if they hired Krista Eccleston, then they know what they're doing. Mm-hmm. So, I'm sorry, you were saying, so Eccleston was kind of your first Yeah, your first so doctor. technically Eccleston was my first doctor. And I know that people, and I have a lot of love for Eccleston. Like, if he hadn't been good, I wouldn't have kept watching the show the way that I did. Yeah, but, yeah true, true. But, yeah, it's, it's a little weird because... You know, the phrase, you like, you never forget your first doctor. Um, mm-hmm. And I yeah. do sort of feel that. I also feel that with Tennant. Like, my views on him have changed, like, gone up and down and up and down all the time. <laughs> right. But, like, that really was my introduction to Doctor Who. I had never heard of the show before. Hmm. And I think it's it's interesting because I feel differently about the new Who doctors after having gone back to classic Who. Because I feel so much differently about the show and, like, what the show was doing really? and what the purpose of it was mm-hmm. after having all the context. Like, there was a while where I was like, I'm not really into new Who anymore. Like, I think I'm more of a <laughs> classic person interesting and it's it's interesting to like come from to like do this loop of mm-hmm. being really into new who and like being part of the zeitgeist and then like going all right. the way back to classic and i did really like hartnell um i i wasn't as used to watching 60s tv as i am now but mm-hmm. i have always enjoyed older movies so the black and white didn't deter me i knew it was like yeah, a sort of different yeah type of a TV show. I had had some sort of context, um, not like perfect context for what I was getting into, but like I am that type of person who likes older media. So it wasn't right. like completely right. out of left field. Right. Which helps. Yeah, which helps a it is, lot. It is, it is very, it, you know, it's old fashioned in, in lots of different kinds of ways. Yeah, like even even for me, I was just like, I'm not sure what I'm watching. <laughs> um, like I'm not sure what's going right. on here. Who are these people? But like, I think I really, it took me most of Hartnell's run to really like understand what was happening TV wise or, you know, right. um, production wise. And then mm-hmm. by the time Troughton came along, like, I just like, felt like, I just like immediately, I was just like, yeah, this is the guy. Like this is like, mm. I feel this, yeah. which is weird. Cause he was like, by that time, my fourth doctor, <laughs> but like, it, it, <laughs> right. so like, right. I do believe like you never forget your first doctor, but I also believe that there is a doctor for everyone and it might not mm. be their first doctor. I think mm-hmm. it's has yeah. way more to do with like personality and like the way that they see the show and like what they want the show to be. Um, and Troughton just, yeah. like, lined up everything for, like, all the potential I saw in the show and, like, what I want, like, how I thought, like, what could make the show... 
not that like I didn't think it was interesting before, but like what could like really like bring out the be- very best aspects right. of the show. Um, and I really think that Troughton did that. And so I was a little upset. So like after having my favorite doctor and knowing that this is my favorite doctor yeah. for like a very long time, I think it made me struggle a bit more with Pertwee even. Um, right. And then with Baker because they're very, very different. They're very different. Um, and I did like, yeah. and I do like, I like the companions of the third and fourth doctor more than mm-hmm. I like the doctors themselves. Hmm. Okay. And I do have fondness and attachment for like the unit era and for, mm. I, I love Harry Sullivan. Like he's one, yeah. he's so up there he's for great. me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We're big um, fans of yeah. Harry. <laughs> yeah. We're huge um, fans of Harry. And so like, I do have a lot of fondness for the show, but it, it, it just seemed like such a, like watching through it uh, just seemed like such a struggle and constantly mm. getting the narrative of like, oh, you're a Doctor Who fan. You must love Tom Baker. Mm. I think right. is one of the things that right. like, right. it just like grinds against you sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 So, I mean, so, I mean, so would, you, would you say that, you know, that in some ways you're, you're being a contrarian, so you you kind of okay. This little black and white guy with the funny haircut—that's my doctor. I mean, I think I'm just contrarian by like it wasn't decision to be contrarian. I think I'm just contrarian by nature. <laughs> by nature, well, we all are. Um, yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Well, because uh, David, you have a Trouton fan in your family, don't you? Yeah, my son who grew up with classic Doctor Who because he mm-hmm. had watched a lot of Doctor Who before it returned, and then really didn't see it until later 2000s for New Who. So he's a big Patrick Troughton fan Mm -hmm. for whatever reasons. And I think he would rate Tom lower down on his list too. And he's, I think he struggles to get into new, newer Who beyond RTD. I I do find that interesting that he struggles with the 11th Doctor if he likes the second Doctor so much. Mm -hmm. That is interesting to me. (laughs) I think it's mostly the storytelling and Mm. the way it's kind of on a high level it's a plot based in classic who and it's character based in uh new who Mm -hmm. and i think he prefers intricate plots and you know that's kind of an oxymoron going with moffat but moffat Mm -hmm. is about the character and how they react with the plot while in in like season five of Doctor Who, it's the base under siege. The plot is pretty much how we're going to defeat the monster rather than how is this character going to develop, I guess. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I always, always think Moffat is the kind of James Elroy of who, you know, kind of plot is character yeah. sort of thing, which I think is something that James Elroy said about his books, you know, mm. anyway. Yeah, I mean, because, I mean, Trout, he's such a charismatic man. And he's such an actor as well. Yeah, he makes such interesting choices. I, I yeah. literally just rewatched all his stuff because of the Jamie round. And like, right. there are times when he knows exactly when to go big and when to go small, which I think yeah. is really essential because there are times where like his character is like over the top all the time. But then he'll make right. this choice of like going really dark, not mm-hmm. dark, but like going very like, oh, no, like I right. could I could see that line on the page and thinking, no, this is my time to like. Yeah. be as big as possible and mm-hmm. he goes in the opposite direction and it just is so much more effective of the type of introspection and like the struggle that he like goes through <laughs> um yeah. and like how mm-hmm. serious he takes everything yeah for me that's why i struggle with the animations is because yeah. Troughton is yeah. such a television actor he's not a stage yeah. actor it's all about 
getting that close up, what he can do with his facial expression, with his mouth, with his eyes, with just mm -hmm. a glance, and you aren't capturing that in animation. And even if you do try to mimic that in animation, it's still not the actor's, Troughton's own choices on how he would portray it. Mm -hmm. it's, it's our best guess. Yeah. And he's such a visual television actor yeah. that I feel a lot is lost that isn't just conveyed in his voice alone. Yeah, which is hilarious that yeah. his is the, his are the episodes that are most yeah. missing. Yeah. <laughs> my my kind of central doctor is John Pertwee, mm -hmm. but you know, he's a comedian, he wasn't an actor, and the performance that he gives is pretty much one or two note. Well, two notes, that's dip. that's um, that's <laughs> generous. But you're know, thinking about it, it would be amazing to see John Pertwee's episodes animated because you wouldn't have to bother with, you know, he's got a really <laughs> animated face. Mm -hmm which will be really easy to draw. And he's only got three or four expressions. So, you know. Gurning, smiling, um, and anger. And there's, you know, there's, like, there's Venusian Aikido and there's giant spaceships. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there's a whole bunch of fun stuff that would look great in animation. And it is, I, you know, I, I, I one appreciates the animations, the Trout animations very much. And, you know, I buy them because, you know, if I don't buy them, then they, they don't make any more, mm -hmm. you know. In some ways, you know, it's my job to, you know, to support the range. <laughs> but I always find it sad because Troughton is just such an amazing actor. And because, you know, obviously watch a reasonably large amount of British television, particularly, I think, from the 70s, mm -hmm. you know, he's all, he always pops up mm -hmm. and it's, oh, yeah, it's Patrick Troughton. And you can always, because he's got such a definable face, he's always completely recognisable, but he's always completely different. Yeah. From the Omen to you know that's not television, obviously. Called it. You know to Survivors to you know Warship to you know it's it's yeah. Inspector Morse. Mm -hmm. You know and he's it's great. It's Patrick Trout, mm -hmm. fantastic. But he's he's always someone else. He's, he's amazing. He, him and Hines are also such physical actors in the sense mm -hmm. of like their relationship to each other is expressed so much through physical affection. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And like a lot of touching and hugging. In a, a lot of touching <laughs> yeah. and hugging. A lot yeah. of like through comic timing has to do mm -hmm. with their physicality and like Jamie's off in the background doing something weird while like the doctor <laughs> like, like they put in all these jokes right. in the series like all these little visual touches that mm -hmm. makes that era feel special in a way that like maybe other actors were probably better at not better but like more professional at their jobs mm -hmm. and like probably the crew didn't hate them as much but like mm -hmm. Heinz and Troughton like on screen like so much of their chemistry is on screen mm -hmm. through their yeah. like physicality towards each other mm -hmm. um that is yeah. like you lose so much just by mm -hmm. like trying to recreate it mm -hmm. which isn't yeah. to yeah. say that the animation people aren't doing a fantastic job and putting in right. a lot of work and that like it doesn't job. look fantastic yeah. but like just like not having those episodes available you really like lose a lot of mm -hmm. the story because so mm -hmm. much of it is like between the way that they look at each other so like i can imagine yeah. the scene in tomb of the cybermen the first part when they're going to enter the tomb and both mm -hmm. Jamie and the doctor think they're taking Victoria's hand, but then they take each other's hand. That would be lost in animation. They wouldn't even try to animate it because there was no audio cue for that. And there was nothing in the script either. Like right. no one would have known that that had happened because mm -hmm. they literally just tried to sneak it in. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So those are the types of, I think, things that we're, we're lucky to see in the surviving uh, visual stories that we have. Mm -hmm. But there is, I think, a greater sense of loss for me in the Troughton performances than there are yeah. in the Hartnell performances. Yeah, I would agree. Yeah. And I mean, then Troughton kept it going as well. You know, I mean, that's a tough job to, to you know, regenerate or whatever mm -hmm. you want to call it at that point. Um, Renewal. But, Renewal. Rejuvenate. But to, you know, yeah. to... 
Yeah, you know, to keep that show moving through the 60s mm-hmm. and to do, you know, pretty much film year round. Mm-hmm. Kind of extraordinary, really. Yeah. And have a second family um, <laughs> and all the other things that Patrick Trout got up to. And yeah, and then there was a sense that man. like Doctor Who was sort of running out of ideas and running out of storylines and like it's starting to feel a little like sluggish in, because it's been mm-hmm. going on right. for three years and, you know. Right, yeah. Um, yeah. He really helped show that like this... He he was really the doctor um, where people understood that like the show has flexibility. The show has a way right. of moving forward, and there are many different things that you can do with this premise that like could keep it going for a really long time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you had mentioned with the seventies era companions, you liked them better than the doctors themselves. Is it all the companions? You mentioned the unit family. Is there? Is it Liz, Joe, Sarah? I have Sergeant Benton. <laughs> so here's my favorite. Here's my second thing that's going to get everyone mad at me. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't dislike Sarah Jane Smith, but mm-hmm. like, she's like she's she's it for so many people and she's mm-hmm. just like not she's like one of my lesser favorite fourth doctor mm-hmm. companions right. mm-hmm. um and really when i talk about like i like this doctor i don't like that uh, like i don't like this doctor it's really just like it's not that i don't like this doctor is that 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 the fifth do- i like the fifth doctor more than the fourth doctor and i like the sixth mm. doctor more than so like if you have to make yeah. a list it- right Something has to be at the bottom. It's all about ranking. That's yeah. <laughs> Curative fandom. Yeah, at it again. Yep. Um, yeah. But like, because because all these other doctors I enjoy more, that doesn't mm-hmm. mean like I don't right. enjoy these doctors at all. Right. It's just that like something has to be yeah. at the bottom of the list. One's a five out of ten. Yeah. One's a six out of ten. One's out of seven and ten. That they're all you know. They're, they're all. They're, they're all good. I'd rather they're take. Great. I'd rather take bad Doctor Who than most other shows. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Is where I fall. Like I'd rather take. Mm-hmm. I, I'd rather have a bad Doctor than no Doctor. Um, yeah. Yeah. I like Sarah Jane Smith the most when she's traveling with Harry, and then I right. sort of lose a lot of interest in her as a character <laughs> after that because she mm-hmm. doesn't. It's hard for me to like get a hold on like her character. I hmm. think in a sense, I think she sort of loses her. Um, I enjoyed her with the third doctor because it seemed like she had like a really like fierceness to her. Mm-hmm. And then later on, she sort of just becomes like the female companion mm. in a way that like it, she loses a lot of character traits, I feel like. Yeah. And loses her edge, I guess. Uh, yeah, I guess, um, which happens with a lot with some companions. So like, I, I don't want to hold it specifically against her, but like I found Leela way more interesting hmm. but like mm-hmm. Leela and Jamie have a lot in common which is one of the I <laughs> right. think is one of the reasons I like Leela so much yeah and like the sort of battle of the I, I like the relationship of like the battle of the brains between the doctor and Romana mm-hmm. um is very like having giving the doctor every time anytime they try to give the doctor an equal like I do think that you know, Romana is the Doctor's intellectual equal and like mm-hmm. maybe Jamie Jamie feels like the Doctor's equal in the sense that like Jamie, to me, is the Doctor's first best friend, and so changes the way mm-hmm. that the Doctor feels about humans a lot of the time, like what yeah. human potential is and like what the best of humanity has to offer. Mm-hmm. And so it's sort of like a more of an emotional equal, and like Leela is more of an intellectual equal, and I find them both really... Or not Leela, um, uh, Romana, and I find mm-hmm. that, that very interesting. But like I've never... I do enjoy the plots of the show, um, but I've never been a plot like mm-hmm. plot driven person. I really right. watch the show for the relationship between the doctor and the doctor and companions and the doctor's sort of emotional arc. 
Mm-hmm. And I find less of that in the third and fourth doctors than I do mm-hmm. in yeah. like the fifth doctor struggling to be a good person and having it all fall apart mm-hmm. around him. And like, he just wants to sit at home and like have tea with his kids. And like, <laughs> he just wants one nice Sunday <laughs> and like the yeah. world won't give it to him. And I find right. that very right. much more interesting. Uh, mm-hmm. And I think it, it might be a difference between like, more internal doctors versus external doctors because I think the mm. third and fourth doctors are very external and I just don't mm-hmm. relate to that quite as much. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Well, I mean, I think the cliche about both of them is that they're basically being themselves. Yeah. I mean, the actor is the actor is just being not a lot of what they're like. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's not a lot of there's not a huge amount of acting going on, and when the acting does happen, it's kind of you know it's sort of a shouting or whispering, mm-hmm. and it's fascinating because I mean, ostensibly, you know, it's a you know it's a pulp. TV genre role, you know, anybody could do it, mm-hmm. I guess, you know, what one might say. Uh, but when you hand it to people who know how to, perf- you know, who who are kind of natural actors, yeah. you know, like Patrick Troughton or you know, William Hartnell or Peter Davison, or in some ways, I think Colin Baker, though, I, you know, I, I, I mean, Colin for me is really kind of exploded in terms of big finish. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I didn't care. I mean, yeah. I, he was on TV at the wrong time for me for a start. Mm-hmm. But when you give it to people who can act, it, it becomes a kind of a subtle and interesting character. Yeah. Which is weird, really, because it shouldn't be <laughs> at all. Um, yeah, which, again, I think is, is good. You know, I'm, I'm going to kind of warm to my theme now. You know, Eccleston, <laughs> an amazing actor, gives it great. In a way that actually, that you know, I... I, I, I I mean, I know Matt Smith, you know, has, has got good acting chops, but to me, what started to rankle with me a little bit with Matt Smith is that he wasn't as good an actor as I felt Eccleston and Tennant mm. were um, and was really relying more on a personality aspect than a kind of, okay, where's the truth in this character? Mm. Hmm. Well, I think Tom Baker also relied a lot on personality and Pertwee yeah. too. It was an ethos to go for like Elizabeth Sandifer's uh, mm-hmm. take on Pertwee, he's the glam rock doctor. <laughs> you know, he fits very well in that Hendrix, uh, Ziggy Sardes, Jason King. Yeah, the ruffle shirts, the velvet smoking jackets, yeah. that's who he is. But he's playing himself. Like if you bumped into him in, on holiday in Ibiza, it would be him. <laughs> it would be it would be the doctor. And John Pertwee, and much like Tom Baker, I think he's you know, put jewelry. But... Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he had medallions. Uh, the doctor did, yeah. but <laughs> you know the difference. I, I do think there is a sort of magic to that and like to having a character. Like, it also takes a lot of talent to be yourself in front of a camera, like to be mm-hmm. so thoroughly yourself in front of a camera. Mm-hmm. And true. Mm-hmm. yeah, true, true. And there true. are like things I love about those doctors. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think what like rewatching it now, I'd have a much stronger appreciation maybe for the stories um and i wasn't and like when you watch from the beginning and you tell yourself you're gonna watch everything in order (laughs) (laughs) um you kind of stop paying attention to the stories at a certain point or like Mm -hmm. it's it's cool like oh where are we going to go next but like by episode two you're just like okay whatever (laughs) Um, right i think it's it's interesting because for my watching Doctor Who, it was very much a smorgasbord of picking and choosing through the 26 years of mm-hmm. classic Who, and then everything RTD onwards has all been very linear. But I've never sat down and watched the show in linear order. And and then you've come in through it through New Who that's has taken that upon herself to, to do it. And mm-hmm. it, I think it's an interesting approach, and I'm wondering if that might be a a way television consumption has changed 
from one and done in the 70s if you either saw it or you missed it Mm -hmm. to now where you can binge watch an entire series when it goes on netflix yeah i i think one of the reasons i wanted to watch it from the beginning was because i was interested in television history and so having that chunk of like you can watch a show change itself from the like from 1963 to 1989 like i was interested in that from like a very academic like nerdy standpoint of like Mm -hmm. not even like i would do this with like any show that had been going from 63 to 89 like it was just like Mm -hmm. a treasure for me um that that existed and that was one of the reasons i liked doctor who so much is that like it has this rich history and so I, I go back and forth on whether like it was the right way to do it because like I, I would probably do the same thing again. But like I do think I wasn't as concerned with the serialization of the show mm-hmm. in a way that I believe that like a lot of people watching the show now are like very concerned with serialization. And I kind of wish mm-hmm. that it would be less serial focused and like mm-hmm. more character focused or yeah. more adventure focused in a way that like it, it's it's not quite the same it's it's uh it's kind of tipping the scales recently it's kind of going back and forth Mm -hmm. but it's still like trying to be like very serialization focused sometimes to its detriment yeah and it's all yeah i think it's an interesting like new trend of like having this access is a new thing Mm -hmm. and so having being able to like see all of it the way that it is Mm -hmm. is so new that it's like bringing in like a whole new viewpoint of the show and like it's really what's like keeping like one of the things that keeps the show alive is like all the different ways that you can watch it and experience Mm -hmm. it and like get into it Mm -hmm. and like i i don't know how this like new wave of like people watching from the beginning i think it does give you a different perspective on like the show as a whole Mm -hmm. it's something i envy you for because it's 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 an investment in time and you saw it fresh in in a chronological order as the show matured and developed and went off in different mm-hmm. uh, different uh, creative decisions. Uh, like I said, it's it, for me, it's just like random who-ness yeah. and it's, it's a different experience. Yeah, which is a privilege that very few people have had since 1963, if you see what I mean. <laughs> yeah. you know, it's really only something that, that we've been able to do in the past maybe decade and a half. Yeah. Like the VHS releases didn't complete until late 90s. Yeah. No, they didn't. And they were all over the place as well. Right, and, right. No, and that makes sense because, you know, the, always the problem with when they try to do Doctor Who repeats on, I think, mainly, mainly BBC Two, they'd always start from the beginning and like no one watched it because it was a bunch of <laughs> people in black and white walking around a set and bumping into things. You know, so this sucks. We're not going to watch that. I do think that there is a niceness to like being in it, like having lived um, a having like lived through it and also like not holding yourself to a certain standard of like completeness or wholeness like just living and experiencing the show and like watching whatever serial looks good next and mm-hmm. right. um, having this sort of because the show isn't isn't supposed to be seen as it, it was never intended to be seen that way it was never intended to be seen mm-hmm. as again you know like one complete thing yeah. and i think it brings an interesting perspective to look at it that way but that's also very much uh, i just hit the mic um <laughs> <You're gazabi. laughs> it's um like it was never intended to be seen that way and like it, like i think having both experiences like really enriches the idea of there is no right way to do this. There is no right way to get into the show or um, there's no right way to, I I think there, there is a certain like niceness to like just having the show be the background of your life and like, just like living in 
living in the show versus like attacking the show in a certain mm-hmm. way. Right. That makes sense. Yeah. Although I love to attack shows, so. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's kind of a bad lead off. I was going to return back to the 70s and the Tom Baker. (laughs) (laughs) So I think one of the differences, just kind of comparing, and you had mentioned that you liked Sarah better when she was accompanied by Harry. And that's Mm -hmm. really a hallmark of the 60s where you have more than one companion. And that's also a return to form when uh, uh, John Nathan Turner became producer in the uh, end mm-hmm. of Tom Baker's reign and carried on through Peter Davison, you have that crowded Tartar, so you have the more companions. I'm wondering if that, uh, in, even in the unit years, you you have a greater supporting cast, and I'm wondering if that might be a dynamic that, as, as a fan or a viewer, that you prefer or you like better, or maybe I'm just grasping at it. No, no, no. I actually, like, having that appeals to me specifically, like, especially when the companions aren't from the same place. So I love having that like friction and like rubbing of personalities. I like, I particularly mm-hmm. like one of the reasons I love sixties Dr. Who so much, or I love the Troughton era so much is that right. it's a Highlander with a Victorian. And like, so they are coming from different perspectives, but mm-hmm. they have so much in common and so much different at the same time. And like having them like rub against each other that way. <laughs> I'm going to stop using that. <laughs> I'm not going to talk about Jamie and Victoria <laughs> rubbing against each other, but like having that, like having them interact in that mm-hmm. way. And then having Zoe come in and like be, you know, just mm-hmm. as smug and yeah. <laughs> smart mm-hmm. as the doctor sometimes. And they sort of gang up on Jamie sometimes and like having that, like, what are their roles? Like their roles in the TARDIS change all the time. Um, and like, what is, what does Jamie contribute in a way? And like, what does Zoe contribute and like how they interact with each other? Like how does a Highlander get along with an astrophysicist mm-hmm. from the year 2000? Like that's kind of insane. And like, pushing those mm-hmm. different character aspects together like i feel like you could really only do that in doctor who or like a right. time travel show and that really like opens up the like like taking yeah. the characters out of their natural habitat and like putting them on the tardis really is really a way to push the character open in a, in a lot of interesting ways and i i do like the fifth doctor's full tardis like i i as much as I make fun of Adric and the, <laughs> as much as like, <laughs> um, as much as he's the little brother that I mercilessly uh, make fun right. of, um, <laughs> like having that, um, having to deal with all the different needs of different characters mm-hmm. um, and how each character is being served and like the different emotional arcs of each character. They kind of did give Tegan an arc. Like they yeah, gave they her did. a real emotional arc mm-hmm. in the fifth doctor era. Um, mm-hmm. And it goes on for quite a bit of time. And I find that, very interesting of Tegan and Nyssa versus Tegan and Turlo and like, Mm -hmm. and also how the doctor manages having all these different people um, or beings in in Mm -hmm. the TARDIS. I I think it enlivens the show so much that Mm -hmm. it's not just like get there, have a little bit of banter, get into the plot, leave Mm -hmm. the plot, go to the next thing. I, I feel like it gives so much more character and texture Mm-hmm. to the show that there's there's so much like there's so much to follow um mm-hmm. and that's more of me like caring about the characters a l- yeah. little bit more than caring about the plot it also seems to be kind of different from mm-hmm. 
like the Davison era especially, that none of them really seemed to want to be <laughs> on the TARDIS team. And unlike now, I think the Doctor really can't shake them off their shake them off his or her leg. They're they're mm-hmm. they're, they're really glom on to the Doctor, and I think it's a little different perspective where. That, that I think that changed with series one with Russell T. Davis and the character of Adam, sort of mm-hmm. like, I only accept the best, when in the past, it's sort of like the doctor maybe didn't you kind accept of the accept, best. Yeah, <laughs> you kind of accept whoever wants Anyone who happens to. Like. Right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah, I, I think having that tension in the TARDIS is like, maybe not everyone wants to be time traveling. Mm-hmm. Like, maybe it's not as great as, like, I, I think there's... A, as it, as, as it sounds, I think there's a real fairy tale in the new Who series mm. of like how great it is to travel with the Doctor and mm-hmm. how great time travel is that doesn't necessarily exist in classic Who, where it's mm-hmm. just like, we're going to start off by kidnapping yeah. these two teachers. <laughs> <laughs> and, and by yeah. the end of it, you know, you were desperate, you were desperate, desperate to, to like, get home the entire... and like. Ben and Polly are Tyler like experience. they're just like oh hey like we landed we're, we're back <laughs> like we're back <laughs> and yeah. so like it's it's fun to travel with the doctor but it's it wears you down and mm-hmm. Victoria gets worn down mm-hmm. um, by the end of it and Tegan yeah. gets worn down by the right. end of it and then even if the showrunner doesn't recognize it or if the producer doesn't recognize the actor or actress generally actress gets tired of it and they yeah. leave and then you have kind of an abrupt ending like with Leela leaving or Mary Tam leaving as the first Romana so like my contract's up i'm done and Mm -hmm. you get a kind of a ham-fisted ending for for both of them romana disappears and leela gets uh married off to the wrong person it would have been better you know i always say with rodan rather than with uh, andred for example so the dynamic has changed from Mm -hmm. uh the classic series where it's uh this may not be all it's cracked up to be to like you said, the fairy tale. This is this is marvelous. We will never leave. Yeah. Yeah. Which was RTD's thing, wasn't it? You know, mm-hmm. that was the Rose characters that traveling with the Doctor mm-hmm. is always mm-hmm. awesome and never not fun. Which I think is like why Martha was such an important follow-up character to that. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. Yeah. Yeah, because with Martha, you get... Oh, actually, you know, there are aspects of this that aren't mm-hmm. super fun. And actually, if you think about it, it would be pretty disruptive <laughs> and also frightening. Uh, to be threatened by a different alien monster every mm-hmm. couple of weeks, you know, it probably wouldn't be that much fun. Or maybe, I don't know. <laughs> I also don't trust the doctor. I don't trust that I'm smart enough for the doctor to want to keep me alive. <laughs> no, exactly. Yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah. It seemed yeah. to me like with Bill that Moffat took the Rose thing where Bill is really grateful, thankful, really enjoying traveling with the doctor. And then he deliberately betrays that trust that kind of Rose had sort of like, well, Mm -hmm. it's really great, but then look what can happen to you. You can become a Cyberman. Mm -hmm. I do think that a lot of the narrative of new who is like building that fairy tale and then puncturing holes in that fairy tale. Mm. But like sometimes I think it might just be a fan thing or Mm -hmm. I do think that sometimes it's like hard for people to realize that like the holes are being punched. It's mm-hmm. it like you get taken away with this idea of the fairy tale. Yeah. And then yeah. like that's what you take away from it instead of like the stuff that's not quite so on the level. Um but I, I think it's an interesting angle to like take th- I I do think it is an interesting angle to take with the show. I'm not sure that's what it's doing now but it, mm-hmm. it for a good like f- six or seven years like that was really the mm-hmm. the thesis of the show yeah 
Could this be because we had fans become showrunners and you have that transformative nature of fandom rather than in the classic era, you didn't Mm -hmm. have fans running the show. These were television professionals that were assigned or got the contract with BBC saying you are now the producer of Doctor Who. (laughs) And now from Davis to Moffat to Chibnall, they're all 70s and 80s fans of Doctor Who now being the uh, creator. Yeah, I I think there's definitely... Being in love with the show that you're creating um, Mm -hmm. definitely comes through in a lot of the stories. And I think that's not necessarily a con, Hmm. but it is like a different aspect. Like it it is like a change from the way that it was Mm -hmm. in Classic Who in that like a lot of these people grew up with this mythic idea of the Doctor and this like love for the Doctor and like wanting to put that on screen and like wanting to really like trying to justify like how like justify their love of the show through the show itself um (laughs) yeah justify that yeah exactly yeah and yeah i I think that's an interesting like like aspect to it um i think you're definitely right that like Hmm. that has influenced the way that like the stories are written and like the the sort of fan worship of the doctor within the show itself (laughs) yeah yeah yeah. I was just going to throw it out to you, Lena, to see if you had any questions to kind of two old guys who've been <laughs> fans. You know, we're not we're not um, a contemporary of Jamie era, but we, you know, Ben grew up watching Pertwee and I grew up watching Baker or Tom Baker. So it's mm-hmm. it's a, like I said, it's a different perspective. So I, I think it's interesting coming from yeah. your expertise coming. You know, you, I think you have an MFA in is it television criticism or? Yeah, it's TV and film studies, so it's mm-hmm. like the academic... Yeah, it's basically like TV criticism, <laughs> <laughs> if you can't tell. <laughs> mm. I'm always interested to hear why people's doctors speak to them specifically, or like why that... Like, I, I do feel like there are... People have this these different ideas of the platonic ideal of the show, mm. of like, this is the best... These are all the best aspects of the show... Um, I, I think that's when like an when an error really speaks to a person, it's like, oh, there are all these different elements are working and like mm-hmm. all these different elements that are important to me and like that I see the best of the show as being or like mm-hmm. the, the best aspects of the show are like really coming together. And like the interesting thing about the show is that like there are so many different kind of elements, but let's say that there are 50 elements of the show and like it's like a mixer board where you can like amplify certain things Mm -hmm. or like take down other certain things and like remix them together in different ways um Mm -hmm. to create things that feel very different but have the same fundamental elements that run throughout the entire series Mm -hmm. and so i guess my question would be like what are the elements or like what are the things about like pertwee and baker that like appeal so much to you that like makes you feel that like these are it for you like these are your favorite doctors these are like the stories that you like best. Hmm. Well, I'll have to say for me, the main the main hit of the show is mm-hmm. nostalgia and being a kid. Mm-hmm. Because I you know, I enjoyed <laughs> being a child. You know, I had a great childhood which was a lot of fun. And part of the lot of fun that I had being a kid was, you know, watching T V and especially watching Doctor Who. So it's really kind of as simple as that. And I mean the other thing is that not in every way, but in in, in quite substantial ways um, Chom Pertwee was pretty much like my father. Mm-hmm. Huh. Um, my father was a very snappy dresser. He had a lot of white hair. He was always in charge, always knew what to do. Uh, was very creative. Um, so, you know, it's so I, 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 it, that's that's probably where it comes from, really. You was the first person that 
I think it was probably the first person on TV that I sort of recognised as someone mm. that I might know, which is weird because <laughs> it's the Doctor, you know. Um, and I mean, I, I think again, I mean, I've we t- I've talked we, for regular podcast listeners, we've talked about this, but it's also you know this aspect of childhood, which is an aspect of play, and certainly for the early Baker years, you know, my sister and I played a lot as you know I was the Doctor and she was Sarah Jane, and that was just very. It was very happy. I enjoyed it, you know. <laughs> so, and like you, one of the things that I think is absolutely extraordinary about the show is it is this core sample from 1963 to 1989 without any kind of deviation or, or stop. And unlike other kind of long, long-standing properties, you know, I mean, I think the other one that always springs to mind mm-hmm. for me is James Bond, which, you know, also spans from 1963, you know, up Today. until, you know... Yeah. <laughs> now um whereas james bond those movies were very consciously saying okay star mm. wars is popular james yeah. bond needs to go into space <laughs> or you know there was just a movie about a big shark okay the next the next villain's gonna have to have big teeth like mm-hmm. a shark does so james bond very consciously follows what's going on but doctor who doesn't yeah, consciously just follow does, anything does at all. Whatever it, it just wants. is yeah. it just is what is going on you know and by and by observing it closely so again, I mean, I suppose the nostalgia piece, you know, by watching Pertwee stories, great. I'm mm-hmm. back in the 70s, which which is a time where I had a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. So it's sort of as simple as that, really. <laughs> mm-hmm. I think it's a twist for me on nostalgia. It's more of a comfort because Tom Baker was, was what was on television at a really formative age for me, which was 12, 13. Mm-hmm. And I associated with it being in a safe childhood and i've really liked season 12 is probably tops just due to familiarity it's comfortable it's safe within a confines and nothing bad happens to the companions of the doctors in the pertwee mm. or tom baker mm-hmm. era it's not until davison that we right. lose adric for example uh right. I think that's why it is. It's not necessarily it's Tom Baker per se. It's the coincidence that I saw Tom mm-hmm. Baker a lot and that it yeah. returns me back to the childhood. So there is a great deal of nostalgia, but it's the chicken soup of <laughs> Doctor Who for me. And I think it's that way for a <laughs> yeah. lot of people, too. Yeah. Um, I don't think you're alone mm-hmm. at all. Yeah. Um, Which I think, you know, unfortunately, for some people manifests in anger. Yeah. About changes that they don't care for, you know, mm-hmm. such as the Doctor's now a woman. Or as much as a you know, a, a almost immortal alien space being can be, <laughs> be male, female or or whatever, you know. Um which is which is unfortunate. And I think um mm-hmm. well, it's more than unfortunate, it's, mm-hmm. it's kinda of stupid but really. It's malicious. Yeah. You know? I think people forget you can have a complete run of Tom Baker and you can if that's what you like, you just, you can just yeah. loop on that. that. It is, doesn't yeah. you don't have to keep watching if that's not doing it for you. Myself, it's the curiosity of how are they gonna stretch this format because this is such a like you said, it's going back from nineteen sixty three and you have these core elements, the Doctor, the TARDIS, a companion, and then Madcap Adventurer or whatever. That's that's the formula to show, and you can do a lot within it. And how are you going to... Uh, how are you going to tell those stories for today's children? Because this is a, ultimately a children's or a f- young family mm-hmm. show where you're watching with, you know, whether it be a teenager or as as a little kid. It's it's not adult mm-hmm. drama. This is not The Sopranos. <laughs> this is not The Wire. This is not Breaking Bad. Kids are watching mm-hmm. it, so it changes the way the narrative is being told. Yeah, yeah, I, I can understand the tension. I. 
<laughs> part of me wants to be like, yeah, I understand that, you know, <laughs> the, the TV show is changing. And so like some part of you wants the TV show to be exactly the way it was before, because mm-hmm. that's the thing yeah. that like you remember mm-hmm. and ch- changing it too much is sort of like an attack on you mm. in a way of like, you know, like the way that you liked it wasn't good enough. Now it has to be different. Mm. Um, right. Because I think people really with with shows that I've been thinking about this a lot, mm-hmm. um, but the way when when people pick up shows as fandoms, um, mm-hmm. they really internalize it a lot. They mm-hmm. the show becomes part of their personality in a way, or like they they take the show on as a representation of themselves. Mm-hmm. And so if mm-hmm. it doesn't line up with what they think of themselves, then they like have this resentment towards it. Mm-hmm. That said, it's a show, <laughs> and well, I, I no, I I don't I don't want to like belittle it, but like that said, like the show has to grow, like people right. have to grow, the show has to grow, mm-hmm. yeah. um, and it it's a thing where it's like I I can be sympathetic to someone because I've been grumpy about the show too before, mm-hmm. so like I can definitely be sympathetic on that level. I don't think I can be sympathetic to a lot of the vitriol around like gender because yeah. that's just bull like, not bullheadedness that's that's just misogyny and mm-hmm. like transphobia and a whole bunch of different things wrapped mm-hmm. up together um and that's really just malicious and i think it, it astounds me that those people consider themselves doctor who fans based on like everything else they've watched in the show right um yeah it, that's what's weird yeah. yeah well the present doesn't change the past and, right and exactly. especially in television where you have a fixed document or not a document a fixed image or a fi- yeah, it, it's not a fixed yeah, yeah. text that you can reinterpret it you can have a changing view on it especially mm-hmm. like with uh, wang chiang is a classic example mm-hmm. of it <laughs> but it doesn't change what it the is it, it yeah. might might the changing times might reflect how you may feel uncomfortable with it but it doesn't change that we're making doctor who for the younger audiences of today and if you want to be really blunt about it, there's big finish for the 50-year-olds. Yeah. There's, there's, there's plenty of classic yeah. well, Doctor oh, Who. There, there's plenty of classic Doctor Who being made. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. So, um, so just listen to that then. I think, I think it's really just this idea. I, I think it really touched on, it's not even like the people who are like into Doctor Who necessarily the way that like a lot of fans are. It's mm-hmm. really just this like anger about the way that TV is moving and like they would have made this fuss about anything. There's a certain sense of, because the show was in the zeitgeist for so Mm -hmm. long, for like three or four years, a lot of people got attached to it in a way that I don't think is lesser, but is different than maybe like catching onto a zeitgeist show versus catching onto like a cult classic Mm -hmm. um, forms a different sort of relationship to it, Mm -hmm. I think. Mm -hmm. And, And like, this isn't to like, deride anyone or like how like how anyone interacts with the show i think like you can be a fan of the show at any point of time like for any reason or whatever but i think having the zeitgeist show created a lot of fans who are holding it by a lot of like modern standards that don't Mm -hmm. necessarily line up with the rest of the show and i think a lot Mm -hmm. of that is uh, a lot of that sometimes comes out like very negatively in the sense of like oh like the show can't change into being a woman 
um, mm -hmm. when like that sort of thing was planted like years and years and years ago. Um, mm -hmm. It potentially mm. could have happened with uh, Tom Baker's successor rather than Peter Davison. Now I know it was a red red herring. It was just mainly the production team trolling mm -hmm. the, uh, the the Fleet Street, but yeah. it could have happened. It was an idea that was circulating, and it's going to change. And yeah. you know, it's it's just it's just not essential for doctor who as as we've seen you know in the mm -hmm. last two series it's it's still doctor yeah. who it still has the elements in there it's yeah. just a different way of storytelling yeah 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 and like i i admit that like i had reservations about announcing a female doctor specifically now because i didn't want it to be seen as like a reaction I didn't want it to be a reactionary, like, okay, we did a female doctor, and now all female representation is placed on this one doctor. Check that box. Yeah, check mark. <laughs> yeah, like, we did it, now guys. We've we solved yeah. feminism. Right. Um, so, like, I had my own reservations about it, too. Uh, so I can't say that I was, like, 100% gung-ho. Mm -hmm. But I, one of the tweets I read, like, right after she was announced was, like, I never cared about, I don't know who Doctor Who is, like, I've never cared about Doctor Who before, mm -hmm. but, like, just the level of, pe like, men being angry, I never want the Doctor to be a man again. <laughs> like, I never mm -hmm. want, like, like, I am ready for, like, it just, just, just barrage them, <laughs> just, mm -hmm. like, um, yeah. you know, like, I, like, I just never want to see a male Doctor again. And, mm -hmm. like, like, I, I, I can kind of, like, understand that as well. Like, it's, um... It's a complex issue, and I think so much talk around it lacks nuance that like mm -hmm. makes it very frustrating because Twitter is not built for nuance. Yeah, I think the frustrating nuance, thing yeah. for me is having Doctor Who being a weapon in this, I, for lack of a better thing, cultural war in mm -hmm. in the in the Anglo-Saxon world, and yeah. it it. Yeah. For me, I like that. I like my little safe bubble, but I don't. I'm not. I'm not threatened by it. I just right. Exactly. I, I just yeah. It's it. It makes me sad. It doesn't make me angry. It's sort of like this is Doctor Who. If you like it, like it. For all my growing up, I was the only person who liked Doctor Who. So yeah. I'm used to people not liking the show that I like. <laughs> so just ignore it. Please just ignore it. Just keep, you know, make it every 26 years or so and then go on hiatus and we'll, you know, our fans will keep it alive and whatever. Yeah. But this is just the show. It's for a laugh. It's for entertainment. It's it's for opening kids' eyes up. It's powering the imagination. It's mm -hmm. It has to change with the times. And the longer the show went without having a woman play the title role, the more awkward it would become. It should have happened. It probably should have happened in the 1980s. By putting mm -hmm. it 40 years yeah, absolutely. later, it becomes bigger than it needed to be. Yeah, I, I agree. Yeah. Probably would have been Joanna Lumley, though. Yeah, well, that would have been okay. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if the show had continued, I think it would have happened a lot sooner. And I think having this lead up of like, okay, we need to revive the show. So we're going to do Eccleston. Now Eccleston is leaving. So we need Tennant. Mm -hmm. And I think having like the success of Tennant go into the Matt Smith years, like, you know, maybe like, I'm so glad we had Capaldi. I actually wish Capaldi had stayed a lot yeah. longer than he did. Yes. Um, at least another year. Yes. At least another year. Because yeah. um, I could feel, I could feel his tenure being a Baker like tenure yeah. of having a bunch of different showrunners and a bunch of different companions and mm -hmm. a bunch yeah. of different like eras within his, like, I, I feel like he could have done it. He could have sustained the show like that. 
that said, like having Capaldi instead of like a female doctor, like maybe that might have been the right, like hmm. it, it, it's hard because the show ended for 15 years. It's hard to like pinpoint the right time because right. you're not going to have McGann be a female doctor right. and you're not going to have Eccleston be a female doctor because like you need to like revive the interest. So it, it just hit at the certain time mm-hmm. of mm. um, it hit at it, like it got revived at like weird at weird times of um that that it came out that interesting mm-hmm. but like it is past time i believe like mm-hmm. i i believe that mm-hmm. yeah. well going back to big finish and how big finishes in many ways now they're doing tenant and donna mm-hmm. stories and I, I eccleston's coming to big finish next year mm-hmm. um one of the things that big finish is really good at is is generating a lot of old Doctor Who and honestly Doctor Who in 2005 and early 2000s is old Doctor Who now. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, is, the face crumbles into dust. <laughs> as as long as as long as we have actors that are willing to do it that have been in the show, we have this continuity and now the mm-hmm. sad bit is like when we lose an actor and I'll bring mm-hmm. up Jeffrey Palmer who just passed away yesterday as we record who was in Doctor Who three times in both in classic who but he came back in voyage of the damned which was i think what you said was the first one that you watched so yeah yeah so it's that connection we lose as fans you know the families lose Mm -hmm. their loved one but we as fans lose a beloved actor that contributed Mm -hmm. richly to doctor who the silurians is my favorite story of season seven and palmer was in that as edward masters and he has this famous death scene where he's affected mm. by a silurian virus so my because i didn't see the silurians until it came out on 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 vhs mm-hmm. and even then it was like 30 quid or something luckily I, <laughs> I lived in the north of england i lived in leeds then and they had a there was an amazing kind of corner shop which had like all doctor who videos that you could rent it was mm-hmm. kind of crazy it was kind of the cor- anyway um but what, what was weird for me about jeffrey palmer is that he was a comedy actor um, yeah. Because the first time I ever seen Jeffrey Palmer is when he was the doctor in Faulty Towers. Sausages. And he has the famous line <laughs> saying, um, I'm a doctor and I want my sausages. <laughs> um, so he always, Jeffrey Palmer and Doctor Who always didn't kind of fit for me because huh. it's, it's Wendy Craig's husband from, from Butterflies. What the hell? Yeah. Uh, you know, ben Parkinson, yeah. Why is, why is he on Doctor Who? So. Mm-hmm. But he's a great, great, great actor. And I'm sorry he's dead. Um, he was 93. So, you know. Had good innings. Yeah, as we say. Yeah, I mean, he, he seems very beloved and like one of the five BBC actors that like people grow up with in the 70s and 80s. Yeah. And also, I, I, I also especially appreciate when actors who maybe guested in like classic who are willing or like have this moment of being able to come back for new who mm-hmm. and it sort of feels like a completion of the circle somehow um, yeah. that they're that like it functions as a show and you always need characters and you always need people to come back. But like having these actors either at the beginning or height of their career and then coming back in new who like introducing them to like all the new fans. Mm -hmm. I I think it's, it's nice. It's both nice of the actors to want to come back. Yeah. um, And shows like a real dedic not dedication to the show. I don't want to like prescribe things on them. Maybe it was like doctor who was just like any other show, but having them want to come back and like being able to like come back for the fans. It it just creates like a nice sort of narrative of guest actors. What I like about it is that it introduces to a whole new generation of fans, 
these classic actors. And if they are interested in the history of television or where the shows come from, they'll go back and they'll look at it. And then that might excite them to go off and look at some of the classic uh, British sitcoms. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, like Faulty Towers is hilarious. It's still, mm-hmm. It still is a very funny show. Beloved. And then, of course, Jeffrey Palmer was also in James Bond. Which mm-hmm. He was. He was the, it was the Admiral Roll. Yeah, with, he was another captain was Judy of something. Dench yeah. Judy Dench was yep. M in that one, too. So he was reunited mm-hmm. with Dench. Oh, of course. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's co-star of As Time Goes By, I think. Yeah. 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 Very nice. Yeah, so yeah he was great. Yeah. Was it Fairly Secret Army? He kind of played the reprise of his character. Of the, the character, the Jimmy character in Rise and Fall of Reginald Perrin, right. yeah. Right. So yeah. it's... Uh, he was a constant presence, yeah, and he he's did a, a lot of voiceovers. He mm-hmm. did a lot of um, advertising work for commercials. Um, so you'd always hear, you know, he's, oh yeah, it's it's Jeffrey Palmer talking about, you know, still talking about sausages, only in the context <laughs> of a commercial instead yeah. of a comedy. And his son, uh, Charles Palmer, went on to direct Doctor Who, and that's at least how I'm aware of him, but he uh, continues on in spirit, I guess, in in the work of his son now in television. So I I, I think he will be very much missed. Mm-hmm. Very affectionately remembered, yeah. He's yeah. that kind of lugubrious way. He's, he's like a Walter Matthau. That's all mm-hmm. he's kind of reminded me of, that kind of like jowly face and the yeah. kind of like... He did indignant and pushed to put upon very well. Put upon, yep, yep, yep. Perfect sitcom husband. Because <laughs> that is their role, especially yep. in the 70s, to get indignant and put upon. Exactly. I'm just trying to mow the lawn. <laughs> or whatever whatever I do in the suburbs. Be a dentist. Or be a, be a, just trying to be a, a butterfly collecting dentist, for God's yes. sake. Cool. Okay. okay. Well, thank you, Lena, for joining us. Oh, absolutely. This was a blast. Top guest. Thank you. Well, I'm sorry? Top guest. Top guest? Aw. <laughs> no, this was a blast. I had so much fun. Letting, thank you for letting me talk so much about Jamie. Oh, that's <laughs> interesting. more than welcome. And, uh, and we want to give you the chance to plug whatever you want to plug oh, that is yours. Yeah. Um, I mean, I have a website, so I'm a freelance writer. Um, I've written a couple of articles about Doctor Who fandom stuff so far. Um, I actually wrote about Quiz of Rassilon. So mm-hmm. I have a website at lenabarkin.com. And you wrote a really nice article about the Twitch rewatches, too. Yeah, I did. Thank you for reading that. <laughs> um, yeah, I wrote about the Classic Who rewatch on Twitch and, like, what that sort of means for mm-hmm. television going forward and, like, the access to older media, because I find that very important. I'm all about the physical media mm-hmm. collection. It really was a shot in the arm to classic Doctor Who fandom of the... Uh, millennial generation z set too because for many was the first exposure and so many memes i mean the Absolutely. most famous one is london 1965 london yeah i have i actually bought um i bought a london 1965 pillow i was going to get it but it's under a pile of stuff but um <laughs> i the, the generation of memes and like having people watch all together and that mm-hmm. like constant yeah. stream of chatting like really helped contextualize it in a really modern mm-hmm. way so like again that culture mash of something very old and something very new and like re reworking old things to be relevant or like find relevance in new media it was just like fascinating to me and like at the time it was just loads of fun it was just buckets mm-hmm, of like mm-hmm. I, I think i like spent a good like four days just on the twitch channel watching hartnell um yeah. just like everyone yeah. it, it just it just felt very like uh, and everyone was like pretty nice too. Like it just it yeah. just generated a lot of like goodwill and feeling, um, and it was mm-hmm. really nice to have for a summer. 
it felt very vital. Uh, yeah. 1960s and 70s Doctor Who could feel vital. It felt very alive and energetic, and people were excited that what, what stories were we going to get today and where yeah. were we going to go. Did either of you see the um, RTD drama A Very English Scandal about Jeremy Thorpe? I haven't seen it yet, no. Because the what because what, it's, it's, it's kind of awesome. But anyway, mm-hmm. the, the kind of on-screen caption that the, the drama starts with is London. 1965 <laughs> and it's like wow so like you know it's now it's now kind of looping yeah. you know the meme that came out mm-hmm. of the twitch watch mm-hmm. has been observed by rtd and then he puts it in as like an easter egg is the first thing that you see if you're a you know it's like oh, this whole amazing. thing is kind of eating itself in a really really fun way basically yeah fandom fandom like perpetuates itself it's it's a constant engine it's like a self-perpetuating mm-hmm. engine of, it, it's yeah. so great and that's it's the nice, nice this is, that was the great thing about fandom in the wilderness years it kept the show alive and it perpetuates and that's why uh i don't really have any fear of if if and when it's i think inevitable mm-hmm. that the show would be put on hiatus or canceled it will come back and yeah. fandom will keep it alive and it's it's been enriched by the past 15 years of broadcast doctor who it's 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 a wonderful time to be a doctor who fan absolutely yeah i i agree um I was going to try to go back to p- plugging myself and that doesn't just... <laughs> no, that's <get> cool. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I have uh, the website lenabarkin.com mm-hmm. and I'm working on getting that thesis available to the public and otherwise just freelance writing. And I'm currently... Uh, I have a, a a blog up there where I write way too much about David McCallum. Um, <laughs> but like I, 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 I watch... Uh, like, like I have like a weekly blog, so I'm trying to like keep writing that way. And mm-hmm. like you can also follow me on Twitter at Scenic Railway. Now, I have a question on that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it, yes, <laughs> go ahead. <laughs> explain, and in, in, in my Dalek voice, explain. <laughs> explain David McCallum, or, or explain my obsession Railways. with David McCallum. <laughs> scenic Railway. Oh, Scenic Railway. Yes, yeah. So that came about because, uh, as I said, I'm a classic movie fan, mm-hmm. um, and Fred Astaire has this movie called The Bandwagon, and he has this whole jazz sequence with Sid Charisse, uh-huh. and it's very much like the jazz sequence in Singing in the Rain, mm-hmm. um, but it's with Fred Astaire, and it's uh, if you watch them back to back, you can see what I mean. But they're very they they came out the same year, mm-hmm. and they're very like similar stylistically. But the Astaire version is framed as this sort of noir pulp fiction novel. Uh Um, And so he has this voiceover. And so when he describes Sid Charisse, he says, she came at me all angles, more curves than a scenic railway. (laughs) (laughs) Perfect. (laughs) Um, and I, Fantastic. Recently, I've been like considering like, I really like that title, but it's also so obscure and like, not like, I don't know, um self-explanatory enough that like maybe i'll stop getting uh ads for scenic railway in oregon or something (laughs) like people will stop mistaking me for that but like i I, it's just one of my favorite lines no it's perfect (laughs) i i just couldn't find the connection but (laughs) david David was in fact very excited that you might actually be a model railroad (laughs) oh no i'm sorry No, it, it's it's much nerdier, not nerdier, but like it's much it's differently nerdier. Differently nerdier no, than but, that. But it's 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 fun following your Twitter channel because you you comment on what you're watching. At least that's what I, I take it. And so you have mm-hmm. all these kind of pithy insights as you're watching, and and if you know or you can remember what you're 
if you ah, yeah if you recognize i give no i give you, no context if but you like... recognize what you're watching it i think it's 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 both insightful and pretty funny a lot of times so it's, i think i recommend people follow follow scenic at yeah, scenic railway I'm, on twitter at scenic railway at scenic railway yeah currently i am on the supernatural binge we don't have to get into it <laughs> well we're out of time no yeah <laughs> um but yeah i i've watched uh i watched man from uncle in the past i watched sapphire and steel mm-hmm. um so i'm all caught up on that one now which mm-hmm. is pretty exciting um, excellent so I, I like hopping around. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, thank you so much for the compliments. That's. <laughs> I, I'm glad that it's getting out somewhere because yeah. it so often feels like you're screaming into the void. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> I hear you. <laughs> yeah. All right. Okay. Well, thank you. And you've yeah. been listening to episode 178 of the Metabilis 2 podcast. I have been talking with Lena and Ben. Um, and I've been talking with Lena and David. <laughs> <laughs> and I've been talking with David and Ben. Hey. <laughs> Farewell. See ya. May we say something? A A show show that is really a show sends you out with a kind of a glow and you say as you go on your way that's entertainment. A song that is winging along or a dance with a touch of romance is the art that appeals to the heart. That's entertainment. Admit we're a hit and we'll go on from there. We played a charade that was lighter than air. A good old-fashioned affair. As we sing this finale, we hope it was up your alley. No doubt. Like you get in Macbeth, no ordeal. Like the end of Camille, this goodbye brings a tear to the eye. The world is a stage. Stage is a world of entertainment. How was that for you? Fantastic. Oh, that was so much fun. Oh, thank you.